Radio Drone. Welcome to another episode of Radio Drone. We're creeping up on number 100. And Brad is not here this week because, to quote him, he is sick as a dog tonight. And Brian is dealing with some personal stuff. So I have a special guest who I'll introduce in a moment. But before that, we have Suede Alex, who I just had to dredge the depths of the Internet to find him again. <laughs> Hello. And we have a special guest who has not been on the show before, Diamanda Hagen. Hello, Josh and Alex. How are y'all doing? Pretty well, especially because doing? today, just today that, that we record this, I got my sponsor, Adam and Eve, back. So if you guys go to adamandeve.com, use the promo code DROME, you get 50% off of a single item. You get three free DVDs, you get a free mystery gift, and they will even cover shipping in the United States. And, Diamanda, you are actually in the United States right now, even though you're a Brit. Am I correct? Yes, I am visiting my delightful and wonderful fiancé, Omega. We're having a hell of a time going down New York, hanging around Washington, D.C., and uh, getting married on the 20th. So are you going to be in the U.S. through Halloween, then? Uh, no, I'm going a few days before Halloween. I was going to say, that'd be awesome for you to spend Halloween in the U.S., because how the Brits celebrate it, but I have a feeling it's nothing like a New York City Halloween. Well, yeah, New York City Halloween would be something, but um, most of the UK doesn't really do it, but Derry, where I come from in Northern Ireland, it's got a massive Halloween festival. They get something like roughly the same amount of people in the entire city, come into the city, get in costumes, get drunk in the bars, take over the town, outside bands and stuff. It's quite, it's quite a sight. Well, I mean, I guess since Halloween is steeped in Irish traditions, it makes sense. Although, you know, we did, uh, we did import some of the American ideas like uh, trick or treats and all, but getting pissed on Halloween and wearing a silly costume, that's pr as pretty Irish as you can get. <laughs> yeah. I, th there's nothing more Irish than getting drunk and getting into a fight, is there? <laughs> Damn right. Oh, uh, okay. Maybe one thing's more Irish car bombs. Actually, no. They were invented by the Russians. Yeah, but the Irish made them famous. The Irish made them whimsical. <laughs> I thought you were talking about the drink. No, no, no. I'm talking about blowing people up. Oh no! If you if you ask, if you go into a bar in Ireland and ask for a car bomb, you may well well at worst you'll you'll die, but at, you'll most likely get yelled at. It's racially insensitive over there. Uh not so much racially insensitive as okay. Imagine mm -hmm. uh, like Russia invented a cocktail that was called a 911, and then you 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 try to order it in America. That sort of reaction. I, I also need to apologize to you, Diamanda, on the air here. Now, I called you out on a previous show. Alex was actually on that one. It, it was about your review that you did with Doug Walker on Heavy Metal. And I, I believe I called you that clown-faced woman. And then you and I spoke about it, and I found out that I was an asshole. <laughs> yeah, you... Uh... I think this, that's how uh, this whole thing got started off, because I was directed to the anime, anime, adult animated episode, animation episode of Radiodrome, and I listened to it, and I'd never heard Radiodrome before. Like, I'd seen Brad, it on Brad's site, but I'd never heard. You thought that, like, well, you, it sounded to me like, like Doug, you, uh, you thought I was a kid, primarily a kid's kids film uh, reviewer, so I was out of my league. My, my main, <laughs> my main issue with, that I, that I took from it, and, 
now the the film Heavy Metal is a very special film to me, and I wasn't all butthurt. Oh, they didn't like a movie I liked because if I was like that, I would have called out Bennett the Sage over his Akira review, which to me was offensive at how much he didn't get. It felt like, and you corrected me on this. It felt like you guys really didn't get the movie, and you weren't treating it with the respect in its place in history. And it turned out. Again, I was an asshole about that. Yeah, some of the more historical stuff about heavy metal, like the fact that it was based on a comic book called uh, Metal Herlant, I think, and how uh, it was a lot of it was designed by Mobius and stuff. Yeah, because I did the original draft for that episode, and I did mention things like that, just in passing, because I'm hardly an expert. But uh, that was some of the stuff that Doug cut out, because the, the, the draft I gave him was probably about 45 minutes long. I wouldn't have minded that, honestly. I write long words. He, he prefers them much shorter, so he cut a lot of stuff. And uh, that was some of the stuff that was gone. At that time, I was unfamiliar with your stuff. I, I'd gone to your site since then. The one of your that really threw me was Turkey Shoot, the Steve Ralsback movie. Because, oh, that's brilliant. I love that film. And I thought you did a good review of it. But here's the problem. I didn't realize I'd actually seen the movie for a little bit into your review. Because in America, that movie was called Escape 2000. Yeah, and uh, it, in its initial release in the UK, it was called Blood Camp Thatcher. It's it's like, uh, you know, the classic 70s exploitation movie where you've got multiple titles, although this is early 80s. Yeah, so I was a little thrown by like, hey, I recognize this movie, but it's not called Turkey Shoot. What's she talking about? Oh, it's just an alternate title. Never mind. She's right. Yeah, when it comes to films with multiple titles, I usually prefer to go for the title as the original version of it. So for some movies, uh, I'll go because Turkey Shit was the original title in, in Australia. Like I reviewed a movie called Intermedio, which it's an American film. It's called Intermedio in the States. In the UK, I had the UK version, but it was called Dead and Dying. But I admit it, but I called it Intermedio because that's the original title. Unless the title is funnier in another version, I prefer to go by the original title. Yeah, and I can see that. So I'm just saying that one threw me a little because I'm used to Escape 2000. Which is really weird because it's not actually set in the year 2000. It's set in like 1996 or something. Yeah. and 95, that was what it was set. And I don't know what cover art you guys had. We had like a vector graphics style Tron grid where Steve Ralsbeck and the chick are escaping and a bunch of fighter jets are chasing him down into a forced perspective <laughs> shot. That That's what the Escape 2000 VHS cover is. And there's absolutely nothing like that in the movie. Uh, the one we, the cover we have, but well, my DVD version has sort of like very stark, it's blocks of black and red and white. It actually looks like the color scheme of my show, but there was this really, really great poster that was used in the eighties when it was released as Blood Camp Thatcher in the cinema, and it's uh, Roger Ward, who obviously he was in Mad Max. He's the the bald guy with the goatee. Yeah, it's it's him with an shirtless with an Uzi holding the the werewolf gorilla guy on a chain. It's again. It's got nothing to do with the film. Well, oh, well, there is a werewolf gorilla guy and a bald guy with an Uzi, but never happens in the film. But it's it's a really cool cover. I really wish that all of them should have that cover. One that, of the that's best a, that's a very ever. exploitation poster. It really is. Oh yeah. Oh, have you ever seen the documentary? Uh, Not quite Hollywood. Yes. Uh, the uh, the history yes. of uh, the history of Oz exploitation. Brilliant documentary. I after the first time I watched it, I went out and bought about forty films. <laughs> I, I i've got one george miller's follow-up to mad max i couldn't find it anywhere because i've got a vhs called the nuclear run it's it's got a different title when it was released apparently they they made the nuclear run as 
the video title, and then they ne- never copyright that. So that version turned into public domain. So every oh. everybody, uh, that's one of those 99-cent DVDs you find at Walgreens over here. Oh, okay, I've never seen that one. The, they, the, uh... the, the interesting thing about that one is it's got a then-unknown Mel Gibson in a small cameo. He's got a huge beard, and he's got three lines of dialogue. So this was made right after Mad Max, so he wasn't famous yet. Yet they put Mel Gibson on all the covers, and even the video release says special appearance by Mel Gibson. Oh, so it's like a George Clooney in a Revenge of the Killer Tomatoes type thing? Well, he actually had a pretty big role in Revenge of the Killer or Return of the Killer Tomatoes. Sorry, I have I have, I have yet to see Revenge uh, or Return. Sorry, so I I always assumed he probably had a small cameo. No, he or, he was a he was a big big role in. The, he has a small cameo in Return to Horror High. I think he's like a security guard. He's got maybe two three minutes of screen time in that. Oh, it's like the. What do you call that film with uh, Robin Williams, where he he's in it for like one scene, and they released it with his his with him all over it, even though the original version they cut him out of the movie. It was this. Can I do it, it until I need glasses? Oh was yeah, that that, that was the name of it. That. Yeah, it was an awful, awful movie too. Was it uh, Up the Academy bad or worse or better? I haven't seen Up the Academy since I was a kid, so I actually can't remember if that's as bad as its reputation. I like the fact that my VHS of it still has Alfred E. Newman on the back of the, and front of the box, even though he was completely cut out of the film. <laughs> the um, I watched uh, Up the Academy for the first time a couple of weeks ago, and it was really surreal. There's this one bit of it where, I think his name's Antoine Fargus, the guy played Honey Bear in the original Starsky and Hutch. Yes, Antonio Fargus. We actually did a Snark Attack movie with him, Night of the Sharks. Yes, Night oh, of the Sharks. Cool. It's got this wonderful clip of him, which I'm, I, I've extracted for you, hopefully using in future reviews. I don't know the context I could use it for, though. But it's him angrily walking away and yelling, I can't believe I gave up being white for this shit. To me, the most disturbing part of that movie, and this is just going by memory, but isn't Tom Poston a very flamboyant pedophile in that, a, a homosexual pedophile in that movie? Or am I there misremembering is- that? Well, there is the very flamboyant, uh, you know, guy guy who's after all the boys. I don't know if it's. I I, I didn't recognize the actor though, so. Uh, I I, I th- seem to remember it being Tom Poston from the Bob Newhart show. Well, I'm not familiar with the Bob Newhart show, so you may well be right. Okay, but yeah, I even though we're not letting Alex talk, th- this will seg into our discussion of the most f-ed up movies you've ever seen. <laughs> Did you get a chance, Diamanda, to and I've shown these to Alex too, so he can chime in on these. Did you get a chance to watch those two porns I sent you, Night Dreams and Cafe Flesh? I'm afraid I haven't. Uh last two days, well today I was spending the you know, as much time a lot of the day trying to write my episode, my review of uh Dead Get the Talisman of Telknea and the day before <laughs> I was recovering from uh traveling and you know, jet lag and the day before I was traveling. So I have not managed to watch them yet. But I have brought them with me. They're on my laptop. I'm going to watch them while I'm in the States. They are, and Alice, you can back me up, two of the most disturbingly unerotic, intentionally so, porns you'll ever see. They are. Cafe Flesh was bizarre. I mean, there's people having sex while, like, dudes dressed as babies are singing, and it's bizarre. I don't know. One of the... uh... One of the Insane Clown Posse movies that I've seen uh, features feature okay. One of the Insane Clown Posse guys in uh, full makeup, dr- you know, dressed as an adult baby, being chained up and then being whipped by uh, lingerie-clad Bridget the Midget. 
Okay, I think night dreams can one up that. How about a how about a woman in a lingerie cooking breakfast while giving head to a black dude dressed as a box of cream of wheat while a man in a costume of a slice of bread plays Old Man River on a saxophone behind her? That definitely is something. Yeah. Okay, let's see. Let's see if I can outdo that. Uh, uh, Lloyd Kaufman dressed uh, dressed as an elderly transsexual hooker getting balls cooked off um, on a, on a on a pressure cooker. Hanger, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, I, I've seen that. L- Lloyd will do anything for money. Lloyd will do anything for dinner. If as long as you put him up, as long as you put him up in your hotel, he'll appear. He told me this personally when I was at when I met him at Trauma Dance that he will appear in anyone's film as long as they pay for transport and hotel costs. If the budget's low enough, he won't. He he doesn't even want a fee. Yeah, Lloyd is a really nice guy. We've actually we had him on Radio Drome on our. I, think 25th episode where he was getting drunk at the premiere of bad teacher lloyd's always fun oh lovely guy it's a bit like uh i don't know for some for some reason i keep trying to think uh, imagine him and mel brooks they could almost be like you know bizarro versions of each other i wouldn't even say bizarro versions they're just kind of like weird conjoined twins that were separated at birth yeah they they should should be almost like yeah, but their writing styles are very, very different. Oh, but there was a funny bit in uh, Trauma Dance where, okay, there was this directoral panel. They had Lloyd Kaufman, you had uh, Ty West, you had, oh, what do you call him? I forget the name. He, uh, James Gunn, and they had a couple other guys and one of the guys from Fangoria. So they're up there and, you know, talking to each other about movies. Uh, the director of Streets of Fire, that was it. They were talking to each other, talking about movies. Someone asked about the Avengers, which had just come out. I know it had just come out because I had just seen the Avengers that day. It was like the second day of release. And Lloyd said something along the lines of, we've got to stop people from watching the Avengers because the Avengers, because if they, if it makes money, then they'll never make movies about human beings again. He's not wrong. And then he, went, he went into a massive rant about the Avengers. And then James Gunn, being Lloyd's sort of protege, sort of stood up and basically said, yeah, well, okay, Lloyd, I know you don't like it very much, but you know, Basically defending Joss Whedon, saying that, you know, he's a independent filmmaker just working in the studio system like, you know, any other one. And then, of course, James Gunn, start, you know, has been signed up to direct Guardians of the Galaxy. So I wonder, will Lloyd Kaufman get into a fight with James Gunn over this? Especially if because was... James Gunn has made it clear, I mean, he said this in an interview already, that Guardians of the Galaxy is sort of Avengers 1.5, that it will definitely lead. It's almost like a prequel to the next Avengers film. Yeah, there's going to be some so proper behind-the-scenes stuff at Tromaville. This is the thing I don't understand about Troma. Lloyd sold the Toxic Avenger for that, that remake. He didn't never gave a number, but he said it was just a vast amount of money. Yet Troma's always in financial difficulty. I've never understood that. Well, I can't know too much, but I know that like they lose money on quite a lot of film projects, like the movie Tales from the Cracker that came out a few years ago. Well, yeah, but that sat on a shelf for what three years and had numerous reshoots and. Yeah, they filmed it. They spent like three hundred dollars, three hundred thousand dollars on it, and then they had every problem happen possible. Like half of the footage was unusable, and they had to fire the director and bring someone else in. It was just you know hell. I'm guessing that you know it's not exactly smooth sailing doing Tromaville, Troma stuff. Plus, they put on Troma dance every year for free. Lloyd is really good on the whole. I want to give people something. Just like the fact that I don't know if it's their entire library, but a good chunk of it, they just released to YouTube for free. Yeah. yeah. The, 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 that's an awesome move on Lloyd's part. Yeah, and uh, at Trauma Dance, during his uh, initial sort of speech to the to everyone, he 
basically went into a 10-minute diatribe about how piracy on the internet and torrenting is the best thing that ever happened. He's the man's brilliant. He had yeah. a he had a rant on one of his DVDs. Um, I can't remember if it was on Toxic Avenger or Terror Firm. It might even have been the Bolt Poultry Geist DVD where he was talking about how funny it was that before they even had the movie released to theaters, before they even had a final cut lockdown, there was already bootlegs of a, of a test screening of Poultry Geist on the streets of China. He bought a bootleg that had, uh, you know, it had Alfred Molina starring in it listed on the cover, and it had, like, Mel Gibson starring in it, and it was just and all Steve these Bichami. people. Yeah, and it was like, wow. He, he was actually a little flattered, I think. The way he came across in the in the segment was he was a little flattered that they wanted to bootleg his movie that badly. They wouldn't was, even wait was, for the final cut. He was apologetic that, you know, that the people who watched it expected those fine actors and they didn't get them. He also lauded them for having better cover artwork than the real cover artwork. But it's, th- that's pure Lloyd. That's what he's that's what he's like. Yeah, he's the model for how uh guys in charge of their own studio studio slash company should be. Like I said, when we had him on, he couldn't have been a nicer person. He couldn't have been. To try to turn this back around to the most messed up movies. <laughs> the the two I brought up, the Cafe Flash and Night Dreams, those were both made by a guy named Stephen Sayhadian. Or his on his on screen moniker was Rince Dream, and he made a whole bunch of movies. He now th- this is supposition on my part. He seemed to almost make this proclamation that he was going to drag porn into art at the same time as making the most the most intentionally unerotic films of all time. The he made movies that almost dared you to get hard. And I respect the hell out of that that credo. To to have done that back in 1981, porn was just starting or just coming off its whole legitimacy thing with the whole porn chic. You you mm. can't not respect the balls on Sayadian, can you? Oh, definitely. I I'm a, I'm a firm believer that sex scenes in movies really should not be intentionally sexy because frankly. Most most of the time, there's nothing less sexy than watching two other people having sex. You know, in real life. Yeah, it's it, just because it, it's awkward and it, it, it's never like it is in the porns. Yeah, porn is the it's like a mixture of you're you're constructing things to make them sexy, even though you don't you won't actually find them sexy in real life. It's I, I find it a bit irritating. And porn is all for the benefit of the camera, so they get into these impossibly uncomfortable positions nobody would have sex in for the benefit of the camera angle. It's, I, for ages I've thought that, you know, movie sex scenes need to be less sexy. Well, if you, if you listen to some of the What the F*** episodes that Bill Margold was on, he, he'll take all the sexiness out of it, talking about how when, when an actress has to work on her period, they'll actually just stuff her full of tampons and then, uh, like, a PA will have to pull those out of her after the guy ejaculates and stuff because they're all packed inside her and things like that. There is nothing less sexy than listening to a veteran of over 400 porn films talk about some of the stories of what he's seen on porn sets. I read an interview with Barry Sonnenfeld. He, uh, well, his first job as a cinematographer was, was a porn shoot. And he, he went in there trying to get this really, really epic cinematic shot close up of uh, a penis entering an anus. And then after the man had ejaculated, he pulled out and he got a stream of uh, liquid fecal matter in his face. 
I really, oh. I really like how you went all medical in that. That that was really I liked that. I'm trying to get around the beepings and the censorship. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then you've also got just the fact that things like anal sex in movies, in real life, it's not nearly as clean and easy as they make it seem in the porns, is it? I think they're they fear they're fearful that if sex is portrayed as how unsexy it is. For, you know, for a third party watching, that people will stop doing it. I don't think people will stop doing it. They'll just stop buying the DVDs. I'm a little older than both of you guys, but not not by all that much. I remember the porn chic era seeing that when I was a kid. I didn't understand it at the time. You know, when you had Deep Throat and Devil and Miss Jones and things like that, and porn was cool. You know, housewives would be could be seen going to a porno movie. Then then video started to make its entrance. And you had people like Rince Dream that just said, you know what? Not only can I make an art film out of a hardcore, I can actually make you not want to get off to it. And that's something that was almost counterintuitive to what a porn film was supposed to have been at that point, isn't it? Admirable as hell. Yeah. And like, uh, like um, to date, okay, I've reviewed about 60-odd films, and to date... I don't think uh, I, I don't think I've ever I've reviewed any uh, pornos that I that I even I find sexy. I do it deliberately. I, I prefer to review ones that are not sexy, possibly because it's funnier. Here here's me, you know the the token lesbian on that guy with the glasses review who I've reviewed. Uh, I'm quite sure it's two, but it may well be more than that, uh, and I've forgotten. Hardcore gay male pornos. You know, there's uh, the one about communism, and there's the the CGI superhero one, and of course there's the porno about the bird fucking the fucking the horse. But you know, everyone's seen that. <laughs> well, I mean, you can't even restrict yourself to to just that kind of criticism. Because have you ever seen the movie like like Savage Streets, the Linda Blair, Linnea Quigley movie? No, I haven't. Uh, Linnea Quigley is really damn good in it. She is. She plays the deaf mute sister of Linda Blair, who's kind of a badass little early '80s punk. And when Linnea Quigley gets brutally gang raped, and she's playing an underager, so it's pedophilic gang rape. Linda Blair just goes all death wish on their asses and starts killing them all. The director oh, of the director of that and a whole bunch of other exploitation movies like Hell Night and whatnot. He started out making gay porn like Sons of Satan. And I'm thinking, you know what? I kind of like this guy as a director. Do I want to watch a gay porn because I like the director and I want to see his entire filmography? Damn it! You totally should. I mean, I uh, the the gay the hardcore uh, gay porn with the com uh, communism, uh, Raspberry Reich. I once made two straight couple friends of mine. You know, there there were you know four people and two couples. You know, all of them heterosexual. I made them watch it over a takeaway meal. It was great seriously uncomfortable for them but not me you know i i was like ah, ah. I, I i sometimes laugh at people's cinematic based uncomfortableness the only thing that makes me uncomfortable in a movie it doesn't have to do with sex it's i can't stand stuff that gets done to people's eyes like the, the that famous salvador dolly shot the razor blade slicing the eyeball open and then all the ants climbing out oh unshan andalu that just yeah. I just creep myself out in my brain talking about that, or even the the eyeball scene in Zombie, or the what about uh, Clockwork Orange, the famous one? Oh, where he's got the eyes pulled. Open. Yes, the, the, that always bugs me. Or or even Halloween Two, 
the 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 uh, nurse getting the syringe in the eye. Uh, Devil's Experiment, where you have the the eye the needle going through the eye at the end of that. I I haven't seen that movie, so I'm unfamiliar with that one. Uh, it's the first of the guinea pig films. Oh and, yeah, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm not a big fan of that kind of. I, I'm the kind of guy that I can watch Dawn of the Dead, or, or I can watch any gore film you can think of. But if I watch like a surgery on the on the Learning Channel, I it makes me want to throw up. Something in my brain tells me that there's a difference between fake and real. Gore affects me like that. It's it's really strange. I, I wouldn't think it's uh, it's strange. Sounds pretty normal to me, to be honest. The only things that really affect me that would make me turn a movie off though is when they do stuff to children. Alex, didn't you say you couldn't even finish the Devil Doll from Hell or Black Devil Doll remake because of how racist it was? It, the movie was just offensive. Have you ever seen Black Devil <laughs> Doll from Hell, Diamanda? The the original, the Chester Novel Turner one. Unfortunately, not. I've uh, I haven't seen I haven't seen uh, any of the Black Devil Doll movies yet. It, okay, I, uh... it, it, it's you're gonna think I'm making this up. Well, you won't because you've seen way more messed up stuff. But it's a shot on video piece of crap about a black woman that finds a black doll uh, that that comes Brad, alive. Brad, and Brad it, did the Brad did the review of it. Yes, and, yeah, yeah, and it's actually got the doll smacking her in the head. Bitch, bitch, wake up, bitch, bitch, wake up. And then it has sex with her, and it is absolutely messed up. But they did that 2007 ripoff of it, which is. Same story, only this time the doll's possessed by Mumia Abu-Jamal, and it's all about how he raped all these white women, and that's all he wants to do as a doll now, and... Yeah. Nice. That's... no. What would be your cutoff, then, for too messed up even for you? Or do you think you have a cutoff that you just haven't uh, triggered yet? I'm sure I have a cutoff. Everyone has a cutoff. Like, everyone's got their buttons that... uh that that you know that affects or bothers them more than other things, and uh, but I tend to be able to handle most things that movies will throw at me. I've yet to w start watching a movie for a review or or something like that, and then turn it off because it's too disgusting. I'll I'll go through to the end. Although admittedly, I've never seen Serbian film. Uh, I'm I keep wanting to watch it, but I want to watch it with someone else who's very squeamish, so I can laugh at them. <laughs> my button has always been anything happening to children, which is why I've watched Serbian film and cannot stand it because there's all that – there's newborn rape in that movie. But, on but the then again, I'm laughing about the fact that Human Centipede 3 is supposed to have a baby in it. You know, Human Centipede, especially the second one, I, I kept hearing about, oh my god, this is the most offensive film, blah, 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 and then I heard that about the second one. They're just awful, awful movies. Not awful because of how graphic they are. They're just awful because they're not good movies. It's weird. I haven't actually seen the Human Centipede movies either because I want to watch them with somebody squeamish again. And I haven't done it yet. And I really want to, not because of, uh, you know, oh, it's slightly famous. It's Honestly, it's because Dieter Lazar's in it. And I'm a massive fan of the 1990s uh, German-Canadian co-production science fiction show Lex and he was he was the body in series two the guy's brilliantly insane I used to catch a couple of those on sci-fi channel when, when we ran the really censored versions over here just picked up the first season DVD for five bucks at Target up for Lex yeah you can get yeah you can get the season two and season three on the on uh, DVD as well worth the money really good show and uh, in the second season detail Azer is okay he's this evil guy who gets his body 
dies and his mind gets put into this computer, but it gets crossed on with an evil insect. So he decides to try and destroy the entire universe by doing a universally universe-sized gray goo scenario where he starts turning all the master in the universe into these floating robotic arms that he controls and makes to build other ones. No, when it comes to messed up films, obviously animation's a good place to go for that. Where, where, what do you consider messed up? Do you consider, like, keeping in mind the time frame it came out? Nowadays, it's pretty tame. But, like, in 69, the Fritz the Cat movie from Ralph Bakshi, would that qualify as really messed up film in its proper time capsule? Or was that just animals having sex and swearing and doing drugs and that's it? I'd say that with animation, you know, you've got to compare it against, you know, like against like. So with, with Fritz the Cat, what you, you've got to really compare it to other Western bits of animation. Like even today, you know, Western animation generally doesn't do the same stuff that's in Fritz the Cat. You know, it's common enough in, in Japan, but, you know, even today we've got animated sitcoms and stuff, it's still not that common. I have a much higher tolerance for weirdness than that. Well, how old were you when you saw Fritz the Cat? Let's put it that way. I'm not a big Bakshi fan, so I, I, I didn't see any of his stuff when I was young. So oh, okay. I can't really recall the exact time. Well, but probably uh, early 20s. Well, uh, how about going back to Lloyd Kaufman? You Like the very first Toxic Avenger. Just the both bad taste and over-the-top gore of like the kid getting his head crushed and them jumping out and taking photographs of it. That was pretty shocking in 1986. And they an animated series based on it. A children's animated series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can only buy the full set of that with the Toxic Avenger box set, um, which you can only get directly from Troma, because yeah, what was it with the 80s making unkid-friendly things into animated series? RoboCop, perfect example. Uh, Rambo. Ra- R- Rambo's a good one. Oh. Rambo, RoboCop. Yeah. Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris was still doing all the invasion. He was doing all the canon films at that point, which were not kids' films, and then let's turn him into a cartoon superhero. Yeah, and He-Man was originally supposed to be Conan the Barbarian. Uh, They've actually discounted that. On the DVDs, there's an interview with one of the guys who started the cartoon, and they said that's just been one of those misconceptions that's been repeated so much it's become true. They said they they never had a deal with with Universal for, for Conan. That just Mattel had a separate deal and they kind of got mushed together throughout history. That is terrible. That just made the world slightly less interesting. It's not nearly as fun anymore, is it? Yeah. Did you see there was uh, someone online did some fan art of, I can't remember, was it, either, it was either uh, images of what an alien's kid's show would have been, or it was versions of designs for how a kid's, a kid's toy based on aliens would have been. Well, they actually no. had a they actually had a kids toy based on Alien back in '79, but it was pulled from theater, uh, pulled from shelves because it was considered too scary. Ah, oh, that's brilliant. The uh, but the, the one I was talking about was uh, it was Aliens, you know, James Cameron's one. Yeah. And uh, but I uh, don't know if that was real or not. I don't think so. I think it was a bit of fan art. Well, they they did release a toy line based on the James Cameron film that was. Pretty ridiculous over your gorilla alien and spider alien and all this stuff. That... Oh, that sounds brilliant. I knew they'd done stuff like that for like Terminator 2 and all, but I didn't know they did aliens. I must find some of those. I, I've still got some. I remember 
the second year my wife and I were together, she bought me an alien who it had a, a little digit on its back that if you touched it, it exploded. Its arms and head fell off, you know, so you could pretend to shoot it. And I didn't know what it was. It was for my birthday. And I'm like, oh, neat. And I touch the back and all three parts fall right into my glass of soda. And it's like, ah, oh, shit. That was short-lived. <laughs> I washed it, but it's still, it was just like, well, all right then. I'd love a modern day sort of thing like that. Turn that parlor of dread and kids into a kid's toy line. Or, or, or jigsaw. Hey kids, get your new jigsaw trap only at Toys R Us. Oh, well, that would be so good. They do make, um, like toys like that, but they're not for kids. Right. They're the, collectibles the, for adults. Yeah. The, the, and okay. The way McFarlane makes his toys, they're not meant to be taken out of the package because they break. I mean, if you look at them funny, they break. Those things are not meant to actually be moved. They're not meant to be played with. Yeah, which is kind of destroys the point of them. Yeah, then just make it a model then at that point. You don't need to make it an action figure. And they even have ones, and yes, she was kind of kid-friendly-ish, but Elvira had a line of action figures in the late 80s, early 90s. There's a bunch of Elvira figures with her with a chainsaw, her with a broom, different costumes. And Elvira... Her whole show was about showing movies that most of the time kids couldn't watch and big boobies. How is that kid-friendly? How does that get a toy line? I don't know. You really young kids really love tits. Well, hey, everyone here in this show does. Yep, damn right. And, yeah, you you got this weird thing where, okay, what next? Are we going to see pinhead plushies? I'd buy one. That's probably out there. Yeah, but those are marketed towards adults. I, I, I think I think those are actually because I've seen like like the Cthulhu plushie, and you go, eh, I think that's marketed towards adults. I don't think that's you're not going to see commercials for that on the Hub during during the GI Joe and My Little Pony reruns. So I, I think there's a difference there. I grew up watching. My parents didn't care if I watched heavy metal, you know, on cable as a seven year old. They didn't care. Well, what comes oh. to uh, what it comes. To- Heavy metal. Uh, I didn't see it until probably I was about seventeen or eighteen. Yeah, my parents were more strict than that, so that might be why I uh, seek out all the more effed up stuff now. Although my parents did let me watch Elvira every night, that was their only. Opa, there was a lot of things that were like you can't watch this, you can't watch that. And my parents, except for the one thing, were rather strict with letting me watch stuff. And see, m- m- mine. I grew up on late night HBO, Cinemax, Showtime, the movie channel. I grew up watching Malibu Express and and all the boobies. I grew up watching the Death Wish movies. That was my babysitter. My babysitter was, you can stay up all night, watch some heavy metal videos, and rent a whole bunch of just this side of X-rated for violence movies. No, I I, I saw the the movie Heavy Metal. That was a Cinemax staple. So I, I think I watched that all through the 80s on Cinemax. Cinemax showed the hell out of that movie. So I, I never I, saw it on TV or anything, uh, although I only had uh, what was, you know, basic, you know, TV, no cable, no satellite or anything until fairly recently. So I, I, I was sort of at the mercy of the British regular TV channels. So I, I, only, I only first saw it whenever I bought it on VHS. Well, and then speaking of that, you you guys didn't even get things like Texas Chainsaw Massacre or Evil Dead until relatively recently, didn't you? Or at least getting them uncut? 
I, I think you guys still don't have Evil Dead Uncut, do you? Um, no, we have Evil Dead Uncut. We, uh, Texas Chainsaw was banned in the UK for, well, it, maybe not officially banned, but like Clockwork Orange, you couldn't really get it for about 20, 25 years. And uh, Exorcist as well had a similar thing. So uh, how did you first encounter those, or did you only see them after the, let's just use the word, ban was lifted? I, I only saw them afterwards, importing stuff by the internet, you know, DVDs. In the UK, DVD players are usually region-free. It's just, a, a, you know, so, you know, I can import, you know, region one DVDs, play them, fine. But with VHS players, you know, there was no region coding, so we, I couldn't really get VHSs from America. I, I I always thought Pal could play VHS, but not the other way around. Actually, I think you might be right, uh, but I definitely didn't know that at the time. Okay, because I was just going to say, I, I seem to remember in my bootleg days, cough, cough, which are behind me, cough, cough, that uh, I, I used to have no problem sending U.S. NTSC tapes over to the U.K., but I couldn't import the Pal tapes because I couldn't play them back. I, I seem- think you're probably right about that, yeah. Because I, I, I was, 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 yes, yes, was, only was a bootlegger in the late 90s. I was buying uh, films randomly, you know, trying to make, out, make up for years of not having seen much crazy shit. I bought a copy of Evil Dead, and it's the only copy of this I've ever seen which has this. The film works perfectly until about 15 minutes from the end, and then the whole the, the film ends and the tape continues. It's really weird. So you're missing the last fifteen. Yeah, I uh, I, I bought the, the copy a secondhand VHS store, and so I kept it just because it was a curiosity. Because of that, and then because of buying the, the film, you know, the proper version of it that worked, and then buying the DVD version, and then buying like the, the DVD uncut version, and then buying the Evil Dead trilogy set. I have five copies of the original Evil Dead. And see, I had that the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, the VHS for that, was a special edition. It was widescreen, and on the back it boasted trailers and deleted scenes after the movie. Well, there's the movie. It's widescreen, fine. And then there's a single trailer, and then the tape ends. And you're like, um, did you forget something there, manufacturer? And wow. uh, th- th- there was a, a certain release of Videodrome in the late eight, uh, late 90s. That that did that due to an actual mistake. Videodrome's in a ninety-minute movie. Well, they forgot and only put it on an hour-long tape. So the entire oh. the entire run only has the first hour of the movie on it. So <laughs> they, they, they did a yeah they did a massive recall of it. I still have one of those ones that it's only the first hour of Videodrome. That's the sort of thing that uh, really should be some sort of a collectible. Yeah, well, I mean, it is for action figures. When you've got a misprinted action figure, that's a collectible. When you've got a comic book that's got the wrong cover put on it from the manufacturer, that's a collectible. I don't see why a f***ed up VHS isn't. To, to go back to messed up movies, now, not messed up in a, like, oh, my God, this is so graphic sense. What's the mo- What's the movie that you would trigger as the most, this is the most schizophrenic, the most nonsensical yet somehow oddly coherent film you've ever seen? Honestly, that's a really hard question to answer. I don't think I quite uh, organize my thoughts on films quite, this, quite that sort of way. For ones that are like 
incoherent or just you know incoherent but still awesome. You've got uh, Jodorowsky stuff. Because like what I'm thinking of is one of my all-time favorite films, and if you haven't seen it, you need to find it. It's 1979's The Visitor. It's starring Lance Henriksen, John Huston, Shelley Winters, Sam Peckinpah, Miguel Ferrar, Paige Connor. It's got this giant, giant Franco Nero as Space Jesus. It's got this giant cast. It was filmed in Italy and Georgia, and the plot makes no sense whatsoever, but it has some of the most striking visuals and most awesome acting performances you'll ever see. But the film doesn't make a lick of sense. And when I interviewed Lance Henriksen, they were basically making this movie up as they went along, and you can tell. Oh, I definitely check that out. The, you'll know the cover is a an eyeball hovering over a city with lightning strike it, holding a bloody garrot with two rotted hands. It's definitely a, check that out. Yeah, it, it's it, it's an amazing film, and I, I dare you after after you watch it to try and send me a plot to it. It'll be like nine paragraphs long. Well, and the plot is this and this and this and this and this and this and this, you know, and it's one of those kind of movies that's so overly convoluted, it kind of swings back to being so simplistic. I can just claim it's about the end of innocence, because everything's about the end of innocence. Did you ever see the co-review I did with Owen Citizen for uh, the Schoolgirl? Uh, I was in his Osaka Telephone Club. No, I did not see that one. Okay, well, it's a Japanese sort of pretty nasty uh, movie. But we, I, I wrote the original draft of the script for us uh, without subtitles. And apparently the film was really confusing with subtitles. And I managed to work out what I thought the film was about based on that and something about angels and divine and, 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 and murder and things like that. So I might be able to do it. it. Will it be what they intended? Probably not. Well, then on that note, you need to find a bootleg of Three Dev Adam. It is a Turkish film made in the 70s that stars... Sp oh, Three Mighty Men. Yes, Spider-Man as the knife-wielding villain, a Mexican Captain America, a Mexican wrestler, both playing Americans, don't ask. And they're in Turkey trying to solve the mystery. And the movie has no subtitles at all, and it's not dubbed. We had more fun making up our own plot about what was probably happening than most likely what the screenwriter put down. Well, I've got a copy of uh, Turkish Wizard of Oz floating about. I haven't, I haven't watched it yet, though. I don't know that one, so I don't know if that one's as messed up as Three Dev Adam or Turkish Star Wars or Turkish Star Trek or anything like that. Well, with uh, Ed Glazer, who does his show, you know, I offered him my copy of Turkish Wizard of Oz, and he was like, it turns out, well, he, he has a copy of it already, but he hasn't mentioned an episode on it because literally no copies with English subtitles exist, so he uh, can't, can't review it, so... In in a way, I think that's kind of funny because I, I I've seen some movies where I've seen the the subtitled version, you know, anime for existence. I was big into anime in the early '90s, you know. I've seen some animes where they're subtitled, and then you see the dub, and they basically rewrote the entire script in the dub, and so it is just that easy to change the dialogue and you change the movie. Woody Allen's "What's Up, Tiger Lily" is that entire movie of that. And uh, Troma did their own version of that called uh, Ferocious Female Freedom Fighters. Oh, I have that on Laserdisc. I never got around to watching that. I had Ferocious Female Fighters on VHS and didn't find it funny at all. And then I would read about it and all these great jokes that are in it. I'm like, none of those jokes were in the version I had before I realized I had the copy of it 
pre-trauma dubbing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that can make a big damn difference, won't it? Oh, yeah. Because, yeah, that, I've got that, that on laser. I, I don't think I have the trauma version. I probably have the original that Alex was just talking about. Well, the trauma version, it's one of the films they put on YouTube. Audience, feel free to check it out. So, out of all the films you've reviewed on your show, what is the one that, and I, I know I'm going to, this word probably doesn't apply, but it's the closest I can think of off the top of my head, disturbed you the most? Honestly, I don't think I've been fully disturbed many of the films. The one that closest to disturbing me was uh, Eat the Schoolgirl. That that review, uh, I started off trying to do it as a one uh, an episode of my own show. I sort of hit a brick wall about 20 minutes in because I didn't have the subtitles, and I put it to the side for about six months. But then when I got Owen Citizen to agree to do a crossover, I took my script, the first 20 minutes of the film, rewrote it so it was between both of us, and then the last four minutes of the film is basically me coming up with every reason in the in the script for us not to do reviews of it. We uh, uh, we skip forward random parts. We just dub random animated animated scenes and uh, theme musics over over rape scenes. We uh, he goes insane and sort of ties me up and throws me into the bathtub and then tries to turn me into a snail. We get Owen Citizen to dress up like a schoolgirl and offer to rape people. It's just anything to stop the review. It was such an unpleasant watch. That one, I, I know some of the more psychotic listeners to this show will now go seek out not not only that review, but the movie itself. Yeah, it's... Uh, the listeners well, to this show aren't exactly stable, let's put it that way, Diamanda. <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, Eat the Schoolgirl, otherwise known as the Osaka Telephone Club. Although, um... This this one didn't damage me. It was just writing it, writing the comedy. The review was uh, like self harm through comedy writing. That was my review of Slaughtered Vomit Dolls, which was uh, the film itself is about seventy minutes of people randomly talking, dissonant noise, ambient sound, being naked, violence, and throwing up. Yeah, I've seen that movie. I couldn't. Well, I've seen about three quarters of the movie. I couldn't finish it. <laughs> I, uh, I okay. I, I started writing at about two o'clock in the morning. I, I, I can't remember what had happened, but I was in a severely depressive, bad way, and I started writing, and then I, I, I never stopped. And I, I had intended to do all three of the Vomit Gore trilogy as a single review, like I did with the Guinea Pig movies. But I, whenever I finished, I, I had enough for one review, a short review, but I had enough for one review just for Slaughter Vomit Dolls. So I thought, screw it, I'm doing one episode. And looking back at it, being being in a very depressive state, I was literally trying to harm myself through comedy writing. Oh, there's one bit of it where, okay, this woman, this blonde woman comes into this room and she starts stripping off and doing a strip tease. And I was writing, when I was writing it, I had entered some sort of – I talk about this in the review. I had entered some sort of a fugue state, and for a, and I was – because the sound for the film is so awful, I was listening to random music while I was writing the review because, you know, I dare anyone to try and make that film funny without playing random songs. <laughs> and Spice Girls happened to be playing when this blonde woman came in and started stripping off. And for a second, just for a split second, I thought Emma Bunton, Baby Spice, was giving me a strip tease. Is that good or bad? That was just weird. (laughs) At the time, it was weird. (laughs) Well, unfortunately, we are out of time. Where can people find Diamanda Hagen if they choose to? 
That's uh, you can find my WordPress at diamandahagen.wordpress.com, or you can just find me on Blip or that guy with the glasses or Reviewtopia. Uh, well, if they want to contact me, they can contact me if they go to the Diamandahagen Facebook group. I answer, I answer the messages there. So if Facebook and then look up Diamandahagen, I am in charge of that. I will happily answer any questions, talk to people, anything like that. And by the time people hear this, pretty much you'll be a married woman too. Yes, I'll be married to little fiance Omega, who, uh, while I was doing the interview, she was playing some Zelda on the Wii. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and then, and then we've got Suede Alex, who no one cares about anyway. Oh, you make me feel bad. Yeah, well, I got stalkers, so piss off. You can find me at 1201beyond.com, 1201beyond at gmail.com. My weekly column, Sanity is Razor Thin at geekjuicemedia.com. My monthly column, The Shadows of Pop Culture in Scene Magazine. And since you people are stalking me anyway, you know how to find me. Good night. <laughs> Good night. Good night. Good night.